0: Welcome to another episode of Hanks-A-Lot, the comprehensive and encyclopedic podcast examining chronologically the films of Mr. Tom Hanks. I am your host, Ken Shelton, and joining me from Hollywood, California, is our film critic at large, Mr. Trace Oakley. And from Seattle, Washington, where just the other night they celebrated the new year by blowing up their only landmark. It's the supersonic Mr. Kevin Dennis, our musical director. How is everybody? Welcome it's true to, they uh,
1: it's true they blew me up.
0: <laughs> they
2: uh... I think we <laughs> oh, uh, oh, in the unusual situation recording the week that we drop. I can say happy new year to our listeners and yes, happy uh, new year to, you to all. both of you.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: we have finally uh, been lazy enough to fall behind enough that we're right on time.
0: Exactly. That's right. Uh yes, we are uh, starting off 2024 in a very special way. Uh by offering you our thoughts on what's got to be the the happiest New Year's movie you could ever hope for. <laughs> kick in the pants. Uh, it's a movie that um, uh, I found so traumatizing that I still have never gotten the title right. Uh, it's incredibly loud and extremely close. Did I get that right? Um, no.
1: Extremely close it's, and incredibly loud? No, it was called It's a Wonderful Life.
0: Okay. Uh, anyway, it's called something <laughs> that, uh, it's based on a book that shares its title. And, um, it's a, uh, a movie, uh, about troubled young man growing up in New York city, uh, whose father, um, fell out of, uh, an office building when it got hit by a plane. Um, and, uh, he's, that's just the start of his problems. He also, um, uh, I don't know, <sighs> self and misbehaves and, uh, and, Screams at the doorman, and he's a—he's a really rotten kid. Um,
3: <laughs>
0: he's, just, he's terrible in every way. Uh, he, uh, it, man, I'm not. I think all children are precious, but you know, uh, like that—that that little breath that Leopold and Loeb knocked off. He, he was kind of a snot, uh, and uh, so this guy might fall into that camp. Um, anyway, uh, before we—before uh, we talk more about mm-hmm. this, I'd like to hear. Uh, somebody who knows what they're talking about give me a review of this film. And so uh, we're going to have a little jingle, and then uh, Trace is going to give us his thoughts.
3: Well, now it's time for the review.
2: Trace, please tell us, what is your view? The year was 2011. It had been 31 years since Tom Hanks had made his initial big screen appearance in He Knows You're Alone. It had also been three decades and change since the AIDS crisis began, and it was now 10 years since September 11th, 2001. It took Hollywood nearly 15 years to make a movie about AIDS, 1993's Philadelphia, a standout in the Hanks canon. Movies about 9-11 were not so slow to come. By the end of 2009, two out of three of Tom Hanks' most recent starring roles were as Robert Langdon, a symbologist in The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. While the numbers? It would make the kid in this week's movie happy, and it serves to point out Hollywood's pokiness, that after the Langdon flicks turned battles between ancient Catholic sects into an edge-of-your-seat treasure hunt, and a murdered pope and serial killer of bishops into an edge-of-your-seat treasure hunt, it took Hollywood ten full years to make 9-11 into an edge-of-your-seat, because you're trying to sneak out, treasure hunt. Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, based on a novel with the same inane title by Jonathan Safran Foer, it tells the story of Oscar Schell, an inquisitive nine-year-old whose father perished at the World Trade Center on the worst day, as the film calls 9-11. Dad liked creating complex puzzles and elaborate riddles for Oscar to solve. So when the kid pokes around in Dad's closet one year after the worst day and finds a blue vase containing a single key and a small envelope marked black, Oscar is convinced that dad meant for whatever the key unlocks to be discovered, that it will be extremely important and incredibly significant, and that everyone must stop what you are doing, be extremely helpful and incredibly selfless, especially if your last name is Black. The search is on, and the kid carries a tambourine everywhere he goes, because it relaxes him, and it's close and sometimes loud. Oscar creates a database sort of flowchart that resembles a pop-up book of all the Blacks in NYC. Yes, Giuliani did the same thing, but this kid's list was limited to people named Black. It's worth noting that this registry of folks named Black rates a distant second among famous lists made by people named Oscar. A distant third if you count Oscar Madison's notable list of things Felix did to piss him off. It's also worth noting that extremely loud and incredibly close is a distant second among novels and films about angry boys named Oscar who carry percussion instruments. A distant third of you count Oscar the Grouch's trash can lid as a percussion instrument. <clears throat> Oscar's grandmother houses a mysterious man in her apartment. He comes and goes, sometimes staying for months at a time, sometimes going away for same. Is she harboring a fugitive or a war criminal, or just renting a room to a creepy old mute guy? Anyway, Oscar decides this short-tempered harpo is the perfect assistant for his years-long traverse and interrogations of the city's blacks. Why? He doesn't talk back, and it's Oscar's way or the Long Island Expressway. After years of annoying the shit out of every New York denizen saddled with the name matching Oscar's obsession, the kid finally realizes the word dad circled in a newspaper clipping is not actually a clue involving the key, but a case of mistaken side of the page and use of a sharpie. Dad circled in a state sale ad. Oscar doggedly tracks down the holder of said sale and original proprietor of the vase. And you guessed it, the key belongs to Unlucky Black number 472. It opens a lockbox that belonged to the guy's father. But the important thing is, the entire world changed the moment Oscar found the owner of the key. It is difficult to pinpoint the worst aspects of this movie. It's contrived, manipulative, soggily sentimental, deeply in love with its supposed meaningfulness, not very well acted, written, or directed, and never coming close to being interesting. It's also rather offensive in its co-opting of the horrific events of 9-11 to tell an unnecessary and deeply meaningless story that would fail to pass muster at an after-school special or Hallmark TV movie pitch session. Director... Stephen Daldry has done some great work. His stage adaptation of An Inspector Calls was a truly unforgettable and thrilling experience. His film The Hours was also excellent. His work here is uniformly awful. He's failed to make the story compelling and seemingly makes no attempt to make his main character even remotely likable. And it's a kid, so he's got a head start. Poor as his efforts are, his decision to film this Drek was his most instrumental misstep. As alluded to, small helpings of Oscar are plenty, or a bit too much. The film hints, but never states that he suffers from Asperger's. So we take this into consideration as best we can, while trying to spend two hours plus with this pint-sized nightmare. On the printed page, this character might have worked well. On screen, he's a misery to spend time with. Thomas Horn was not equipped to play this role. Having been discovered by beloved producer-slash-humanitarian Scott Rudin, as a junior Jeopardy contestant. Tom Hanks plays the supporting role of the father. He's played the dad buddy before, and he's fine, if a bit grating at times. Sandra Bullock plays the mom, a role that is horribly written. She does her best and emerges more sympathetic than any other character. Max von Sydow plays the silent mystery man, subject of a laughably obvious denouement. He does solid work in a thankless role. John Goodman and Viola Davis play small roles with enough screen time to merit consideration for best supporting actor or actress in a highly important life changing film nominations. If you are a fan of pretentious sentimentality, you might like this. If you have an ounce of self respect or at least half a brain, you won't. My score, half a hanky.
0: You know, I'm, uh, I gotta say, I'm with you. I, Boy, this is the first movie I think uh, we've watched in in uh, uh, two score films that I I really suffered through. Like it was yeah,
2: yeah. just
0: rough sledding, man. Uh, the kid—it's uh, not just that the character was unlikable, but the performance was uh, intolerable. He's not. he was not a good actor, not equipped to play the the role. Uh, I mean, I thought the rest of the cast was fine. Max von Sydow and Sandra Bullock. And I just, um, all of them, I felt uh, were just, uh, just pacing around on the deck of this sinking ship. Um,
2: I've never really liked Sandra Bullock. And for me to, to be watching this movie and think, gosh, I wish they'd given her more to do. Yeah. You know, that kind of tells you what you're, what you're in for.
0: Uh, it i can see how it probably worked as a book because um a book doesn't have to have the kind of uh, uh pace as a, as a movie um but to you know did any of us care what that key went to or did we just want him to shut up about the key and uh i don't know um i i don't really have much to say about it other than it was just it was a, a turkey, and the it felt like the the whole nine eleven aspect of it was just, um, they said, oh, we want this to be a very emotional story, so let's go ahead and start on third base, uh, yeah, yeah. where we almost have a home run already, having done nothing to earn it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was weak and cheap, and I didn't like it. Very, Kevin, what were very, your thoughts?
2: Go ahead.
1: Oh, I agree. I, I remember that when the book came out, a friend of mine had said, Oh, you know, this. I was, we were talking about what's a, at the time it was like, What are you reading? What's a good book to read? And somebody had suggested that one. And I never read it because it just never sounded interesting. And, <clears throat> but I can see how this would have worked. Again, I see how it would have worked as a book. Um, but boy, it's just nothing about it was, you kind of, you guys have kind of covered it. I really thought that the use of the World Trade Center uh, day was just tastelessly done. It was just, 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 you know, it was it was a cheap trick to get you to feel something emotional about these characters and it, it just I don't know, I didn't I didn't like anything about it really. And then it was well, believable, you know, like you said. And Tom Hanks one last thing was that you know, Tom Hanks again did he did fine. It's not really like we're we're dumping on Tom Hanks here. It's just that this movie was bleh.
2: Well oh, you, that's know, it. you you look at it and you think, I mean, this is ultimately really a as I said, kind of a treasure hunt story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sort of a serious treasure hunt and and this kid's obsession but you know did did they actually have to bring 9-11 into the equation i don't think they did the no, not no no could have died of anything you yeah know? i agree and uh then it wouldn't have been it, it it might not have been good but it wouldn't have been so tasteless
1: i agree and yeah. i didn't care about any of it i didn't care about the no, search no, at all i was no. just like and there was a couple of moments that i thought worked pretty nicely but and so, what you know, the rest of it was so bad. I was really agreed, I, I was really pleased that you guys said that you know, um, the guy that played the grandfather and uh, Sandra Bullock did good jobs because I really enjoyed both of those actors in this movie. Um, I enjoyed the actors, you know,
0: they were, Which, they, were they had a different good. movie to do, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 yeah exactly.
1: And yeah, I'm a Sandra well, she, Bullock fan, I, I think she is actually, I like a lot of her work,
2: yeah, there's some very good actors. Uh, doing the best with, with what they can. I mean, John Goodman, mm-hmm. you know, why he would want to do this, you know, but I mean, he's why he would want to spend, you know, 10 seasons being second banana to Roseanne. Uh, well, you know, I think this was, yeah. a, I
1: think the reason everybody signed up was because the book was successful well,
2: and probably. they thought
1: that the yes. movie would yeah. be carrying on that. So um, to skip ahead. that The music was done by Alexandra Desplat, who's done a lot of work. He's, um, well-known he's most people don't know who he is, but he's got two Oscars and 119 wins and 340 nominations. He's done a bazillion movies. Um, not the,
2: the kid would enjoy these numbers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but he did, he's just, just a quick say, you know, he did, um, the deathly Hallows part one and he did, um, uh, France, Marcel Jaguar, Stephen Hawking, James Bond, Florence Foster Jenkins, um, Just a lot of stuff. He's got a lot of credits to his name. but None of the music is particular. He's very good, but it's one of those. You wouldn't buy the soundtrack. It's it's all just meant to be background filler kind of music to me anyway. So very skilled, very talented, good for a movie. Not like a John Williams score that you'd want to buy and listen to, though, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't uh, recall a single piece of music from the movie. Um, no, you wouldn't even noticing that there was. Right, music. But I also
2: didn't. I didn't notice anything that stood out as being distracting. No, being or, and, and that's and that's one know. reason he's good is because right, he, exactly. you don't. Yeah,
1: it's a shame because you know when you're good like that, you don't aren't appreciated.
0: But, but that's is,
2: that's part of a good, good composer is not calling I attention agree. to themselves.
0: I agree. Well, next week we're going to be talking about a movie called Cloud Atlas, which is, uh, uh, I, I believe, features. Uh, Tom Hanks in multiple roles. He's kind of, uh, I think, uh, pulling a a little Joe versus the Volcano Meg Ryan trick, and I think he's playing successive generations of himself. Um, uh, So that'll be interesting to see. It's a movie I've never seen. Uh, It was very ambitious. It was not uh, really critically embraced at the time that it came out, and I'm kind of interested to see why. Uh, It's certainly something that Tom Hanks doesn't do a lot of, which is science fiction, I believe. Uh, it may be the first. This, uh, yeah, I think will be the first. Maybe the first science fiction film that Tom well, Hanks guess, appeared in. Maybe it had it a couple
2: be, that have been sort of sci fi adjacent, but this would be. Yeah, like, like, like
0: Apollo yeah. 13 is kind of sci fi. Well, I mean, even it, Hell versus well, Volcano it's, in some ways. It's, it's science fact rather than science fiction, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, uh, when you talk about a movie that had uh, uh, competent but not very memorable music. Now it seems like a good time for us to hear some memorable but not very competent music. And, <laughs> that, <laughs> and for that, we're going to reach out to our uh, uh, the our own house composer, uh, the the supersonic Kevin Dennis, is going to uh, <laughs> going to lift your spirits with a song uh, to finish up the show today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, we will see you next week for Cloud Atlas. Uh, Money pit. I hope it's more. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, wow, whew, that was what a relief! Right, wow. right at the finish line. Well, short uh,
2: episode. We, you know, <laughs> we almost we almost dodged that bullet.
0: I hope you guys have are having a a happy start to 2024. Uh, may it be uh, the greatest year you have ever imagined, and uh, I hope. I hope you find uh, what that key goes to if you're a dorky kid <laughs> on a quest. So um, that's it. Enjoy your song. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.
3: Scrapers for dead people and a funeral pretend Favorite shoulder shrugs and a burrow search dead end A building interrupts a normal flyway Stretching for eight minutes from the worst day It was extremely loud and incredibly close And it blew us all away An expedition and locksmith clues Tambourine shakes keep away the blues It's never gonna make sense because it doesn't make sense It's impossible to live the present in the past tense It was extremely loud and incredibly close And it didn't make any sense I wish it had been you in the building instead I didn't really mean that, yes, you did Silent Wrencher, my story is my story Grandfather remains in purgatory He was extremely quiet and became less close And he had to walk away Don't have to look anymore Boy and tower collapse And rage on the floor Common connection In mom and son quest Disappointment is better Than nothing less stress It was extremely loud And incredibly close Now it is time to come home
0: You made it through another episode of Hanks a Lot, the Tom Hanks podcast. Our show is recorded and mastered at Cliffside Studios in Spokane, Washington. Your hosts are Trace Oakley, Kevin Dennis, and me, Kent Shelton. Please send corrections, comments, and indecent proposals to hankspodcast at gmail.com. Tom Hanks has not been consulted or compensated and knows nothing about what goes on here. All music used on the show is composed and performed by our own Mr. Kevin Dennis. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Come back next week and bring your sister. And please rate and review us on your favorite podcast catcher. Thanks for the support and goodbye.